Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, a managing partner of Invader Comics and the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Milsander for the Accidental Aliens. Man, I'm just stacking up titles. Like, like as recently as two months ago, I was just the writer of Kadoja. <laughs> look, look how far I've come. Look how far I've come. <laughs> you um, did it. World's best cup of coffee. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so what are you drinking, man? Are You sound better. We already talked about that. Yes. But hopefully you're drinking something, too, and you're back on the train here. Yeah, so I'm feeling way better than I did last week, uh, as, as you guys could hear from the audio from then to now. And uh, I'm trying something different today. So I went to my favorite spot. I went to Costco to get some of my trademark uh, Kirkland, Kirkland uh, hard seltzers. And right next to them, there was something called nude hard seltzers. And they had a special discount of um, $10 off the total price. So they retailed for $17.88 or something like that. And with the $10 off price, it was $7.88 for a 24-pack. And I was like, yeah, 8 bucks. Fuck it. Let's give it a try. And if it sucks, then I'll just bring it to a family party and leave them there. Um, so, okay. <laughs> so that's, that's what I was going to ask. Like, if it sucks, then you've still committed to 23 cans of something. Yeah. So it's a pretty plain looking can. It's just a white can. Yeah. It says nude hard seltzer and yeah. it's a 5%. Um, and let's see how it is. It smells good. There's not, not a lot of flavor there. So <laughs> I, I, I think I understand why it was discounted. Yeah. Yeah. There is, there is, it's one of those things where if you like, for instance, if you liked unsweetened tea, yeah, you just like a little bit of hints of a flavor like unsweetened tea has, this kind of has that as well. So you mm-hmm. mostly get that carbonated, uh, carbonated fizzy water, uh, with the hint of mango at the end. So it's actually not that bad. But it's not like a White Claw or a Trulies where you get, you know, a nice refreshing um, flavor along with right. with you know the mouthful of seltzer there. So it's not Actual it's not flavor. terrible. So I think I will keep drinking these. Like I don't mind them. Um, yeah. And it is. It's just more, it just sounds like it's more like drinking a, a flavored sparkling water, ex- like exactly. a Perrier Lime or something yes, like that. Yes, one hundred percent. Yes, exactly. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so I. I just, I can't, I can't stop going hard in the paint. Come and knock on our door. I am drinking uh, something from the brewery, Three's Co-Company. Oh. It is a bourbon barrel aged imperial stout with coconut, vanilla beans, milk, sugar, and oat milk. 13.5%. Oh, wow. Motherfuckers. This is, this is the final one of those fancy pants pastry stouts that I got from the brewery with a U. Um, it's, it, I, I had a sip of it already. It's goddamn delicious. I don't, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm just re- plugging the tape from last week. It's that exact same tape. I don't know how they make things that are so tasty and it's frightening. And you said this place is right down the street, right down the street, right? It's not far from Dude, you. it is. It is not far at all. It is not far at all. If, if we can get you up here uh, one of these days, then I think I think I know the two places to go. The one place we're going to go is Left Coast, which is uh, I talked about about a month or two ago. And then this other one, we'll do the brewery with you. OK. Uh, and, and get our stouts on. Hopefully you won't do it in the summer. It'll be like 96 because that's a it's the last thing I want to drink when it's fucking 96 out is some <laughs> high gravity pastry stout. But uh, we'll, we'll aim we'll aim for stuff. Okay. 
So, all right. Well, with, with that out of the way, man, what was the first thing you did this week? The most important thing of the week is the PDFs are finished. So the second shift, issue 10 and 12, uh, as of today, are completed. So Tristan finally sent me the PDFs. Um, I had some corrections I had to do. Ed found one more error in issue 10. And then so that was like the third or fourth PDF of that issue that uh, we went through. And then there was really only two corrections in second shift 12. So the first PDF go around on that, there was only two typos and, um, you know, or, or just kind of like word choices that were adjusted. And then uh, my editor, Dave, he found nothing in issue 12. And so there was just a couple of things in issue 10 that he found originally, but you know, this time around he was good to go. So there was nothing else. And yeah, so those are finished and I will be sending those off to the printer um, tomorrow morning. So I'm just going to do tonight after we get off the call here, I'm going to go back through them, make sure I, I don't see anything to make sure we're a hundred percent done. And then in the morning, I'll send that off to my printer and see, well, you know, he'll let me know how long the turnaround is and everything like that. And hopefully I'll get that back soon and off to the Kickstarter backers. Awesome, man. Going, going through the process. That's, that's all you can do. Yeah. And then I'll send the digitals. Like, so once I finish, um, what's cool is Tristan always gives me the principle, the printable PDFs, the ones that get sent to the printer with the trim and everything. And then he also creates me digital ones, which uh, don't have that. And they're much smaller files. So as soon as those get approved, I will send those all out to the Kickstarter backers as well. So the digital files for all the Kickstarter backers will be sent out um, uh, nice. by the end of the weekend. Cool, dude. Cool. All right. Well, I, I actually did a bunch this last week. It's interesting because the week where I thought I was going to do a lot, the trip to France, was not the week where I did a whole lot. Where this past weekend, I think, you know, I just found myself home uh, doing some detox stuff and had some things to catch up on and, and, and did a fair amount of them. So the first thing I did, I had mentioned the Kadoja ash can last week. I put together the ash can and I kind of had this spot, eight pages and I didn't want to give eight pages from this story. You know, I don't want to give eight pages of a 22, 24 page story. It feels like it's giving away too much. I want people to be excited to read the issue. So as I was, I was thinking about, it, I'm like, well, what, you know, what's cool in Ash Canny? Like what bonus content or what stuff out there might I have that I haven't quite put out there enough? And I, I my brain landed on... This little arc that I had put in, I gotta, I gotta follow the bouncing ball here. It was on this arc that I had put in Kadoja Declassified, which is a one-off comic we did with an audio drama that was in between volumes two and three. Um, what, what had happened was that what spurred Kadoja Declassified was that volume two, I think I've mentioned this before, volume two, the final issue was intended to be a 36-page issue. It had a ton of content. We had about, I don't know, 12, 14 pages done, and then Rory Smith started to get, like, he, he got a big job. I can't remember who it was with. It may have been with, like, Titmouse or something like that at the time. His first real big animation job. And um, that really ate up his time. So time moved on and time moved on and time moved on. And then I got close to Emerald City Comic Con, which is where I really wanted to release issue five a few years ago. So he uh, he wasn't able to do it, really. And, and then what I was 
I, I negotiated with him to get him to ink another page or two of his, and then to take pencils of his and have someone else ink them, which is Jeremiah Lambert, who did a killer job on those couple pages. But what it left me, what I also had to do, therefore, was to cut out a fair amount of story. So I just decided to snip this entire little mini arc out, as well as a few other things. But I liked the arc enough where I wanted to put it back in Declassified because it's, you know, it's, it's relevant to the story. At the time, I thought it was sort of relevant to the story. Well, as Volume 3 unfolded, what I realized is that it is much more relevant to the story than I had thought initially. And it's this cool thing where one of the characters basically visits a guy in like an asylum. I'm, I'm not going to go too much into it. For people who read Kadoja, it's Murakami. Professor Murakami goes to visit Andrew Kasa, who is a crazy person who committed a whole lot of homicides in volume one. So I need to have that. The more, as we got into volume four, I'm like, yeah, we really need to have this. So what I'm planning to do for the first issue of volume four is I'm actually going to take those and I'm going to get them inked. I still have the pencils. I have them lettered. I'm just going to contact one of the old inkers and see if they can ink up about six, eight pages, something like that. And that's going to make this first issue of Kadoja Volume 4 a whopper. It's going to make it, you know, 30, 32 pages, something like that. And then that created a nice ash can. So I was able to take half of that little mini arc to set the table as pencils with lettering. Pencils, you know, with semi-inks and lettering, but not really inked at all. And then uh, add a couple preview pages of the art from Will, but without lettering. So now you get a nice taste of it. You get a little bit of story. You get some art. And it makes you want to read the book, which is what I think it should do. It's not giving away too much. And uh, and I think it's a cool little piece on its own. Mike and Kevin just came back a couple hours ago and said they thought it was great. So I know I'm on the right track. And uh, just sets me up to, you know, make the first issue. I have a little bit more work ahead of me. I really just have a little bit more money to spend because I'm going to hire an inker and get those six, seven, eight pages, however many it is done. Um, so anyway, so that was the first big thing. And I think because I've taken so long, well, I'll just throw it back to you. And then we can talk about my second thing that kind of unfolds from there. Cool, man. Wow. That's, yeah, that's definitely cool. Like if you have extraneous stuff that's not being used and it's on the cutting room floor and you can repurpose that and, and, and make it integral into the story after all, hell man, that's like, it, it's stuff you've already paid for that was basically going to be trash. And you're like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. This is all usable. This is all usable yeah. assets here. And I feel like that, too, when it comes to, like, sketches, just random drawings of the characters. You can always throw that in the back of an issue, like back matter stuff. People people love back matter. They, they really do. Yeah. I love seeing character sketches, char- character designs, everything Everything along those lines are intriguing to look at. You kind of get to see the first iterations of the characters, what they potentially could have looked like, and then what they look like now, right? So, so yeah. th- that's that stuff's all very cool. Um, and glad you're getting to purpose, you know, put some purpose into the those those scrap heaps. Yeah, a couple things on that. Number one, I eat that shit up as a fan. I have multiple books of Godzilla, Pacific Rim, Star Wars, Drink Up Party People. We did it. Um, and also Ultraman, uh, just cool sketch concept type thing. So I'm a fan of that as well. So I, I can totally relate on both sides. Uh, okay. So my second thing for the, uh, for the week was I'm back on interiors for Wanderers and Melisanda three, and I am three pages finished, which is very nice. I'm keeping on track. I am doing a panel and a half a day. So I did the math on it. I want it done by April. 
So that means I have to, instead of doing my usual panel a day, I have to do a panel and a half a day. And um, I'm so far so good. I'm staying on track and I'm making nice progress on page four already. And so after, you know, we get off the horn here, um, I'm going to go over those PDFs and then I'm going to tackle this fourth page and hopefully I can knock out another panel or get close to it. Um, I have one panel that's 75% done. It's basically putting the line weights on it and then I move on to the next one. And um, so, yeah, so, so we're keeping it moving. I'm very happy with the pace of this. Wanders is so interesting because it's so much easier than the second shift. Like I will say as, as the creator of both titles, I, I enjoy working on both of them. Um, second shift, there's something special about it because I've worked on it since I was basically in seventh grade. Like they were way different characters then, but they've just been with me ever since, you know, I was like 13 years old. Um, but when I do wanders, it's just so free flowing because everything's so organic. Like it's rare when I use a ruler for anything or a French curve. It's just like, Hey, I got to draw this, uh, this building. Well, it's made out of tree or it's made out of stone. You know, it's made out of, um, um, you know, grass or something like that. You know, it's woven. So it's just all these organic materials that I have to draw. So, and, um, half of the, the characters in there are creatures of some sort, you know, it's like, a um, anthropomorphic dinosaur or an anthropomorphic animal of some sort, you know, most of the time. So it's just like, there's only a couple of human characters that I have to draw. So after that, it's just like, Hey, anatomy for a made up creature is the anatomy for a made up creature. So if you're like, Hey, you didn't draw that right. Oh, did I, or didn't I? No, I, I'm pretty sure yeah. I did because it's all fake, you know? So, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So that's the beauty of wanders is it's just, it's so freeing in a different kind of way than drawing second shift, which is like in cities with man-made objects like buildings, cars, etc. And um, so there's a little more um, control, basically, that I have to have there. Whereas Wanders, it's just like, just draw, man, just draw. Yeah, I mean, and that makes sense and ties back to what we talked about in a previous episode. This idea of being tethered to reality. You know, the second shift takes place in san diego not much of an i mean yes it's an alternate reality san diego but it's only alternate reality really in that the characters of the second shift exist in our exact world you know the burrito spot that you that you know is there it's still there you and i can go to the same lolitas in the second shift san diego as the real san diego um where wanderers is fantasy yeah. you know so that that would make sense that would make sense that there's less of a tether and therefore less rules that you really have to stick to um i had a question yeah what does half a panel look like um it could be anything from like just doing the pencils or um penciling and inking half of the characters on that panel so so basically whatever i need to do to get me there or however i'm feeling so um, the minimum is a panel and a half. So it's like you got to do at least one and you got to at least throw down the pencils for the majority of a panel or all of the pencils to, to a panel. Because yeah. uh, in my mind, um, halfway there is the pencils. The other half is the yeah, okay, And then it's done. Gotcha. So, gotcha. but uh, I will also accept, let's say there's four char- four characters on the, pa- on the panel. I pencil and ink two of them. That's half. Mm-hmm. That's half. Because there's okay. two more I got to do the same amount of work for. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, I think it's it's an interesting exercise in goal setting too. 
Because by making your goal one and a half pages, you're going to find yourself doing two a fair amount. You know, I, Which I would great. imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I would, there's no, you know, you, know, you don't. Yeah. You, there's no penalties for doing more work. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. It's just if you don't turn in your homework assignment on time, yeah, there's penalties for not finishing that. But uh, getting extra credit is extra. Yeah, man. That's cool. That's cool. I dig that. All right. So that brings us to part two of my Kadoja thing. As I was doing the ash can, because again, this is an ash can that's going to go to all backers of Freaks and Gods, volume two, number one. For the, for the Kickstarter. So in, in crafting the ash can, I realized that volume four does not have a title. You know, look, retrospect can be dangerous because it took me the fourth volume to realize that Kadoja really should have followed like Hellboy naming conventions instead of... So here's what I mean when I say that. Kadoja Volume 1 is called Terror Mountain Showdown. Its official title was Kadoja Volume 1, Terror Mountain Showdown. Kadoja Volume 2 is called Leviathans. That's how it goes. Or sorry, Kadoja Volume 2 is actually called Valley of the Giants. Kadoja Volume 3 is called Leviathans. What I feel I should have done all along, and what I will do once these books sell out and we reprint them with an Invader stamp on top, is that the name is going to come first, and then in parentheses, you're going to see what volume it is. So it's just going to be Kadoja, Terror Mountain Showdown. And then you'll know that's the first volume. Kadoja, Valley of the Giants. That's how it's going to be. So we're going to start that with volume four. Kadoja, insert title here, aka volume four. So the insert title here is the problem. And I want to talk about, again, this might be interesting, it might not, for, for instructive purposes, but the thought process that came into the name, which we I ended up settling on. So this has always been on, you know, the, the plan was always for this to be the final arc, at least of this continuity. Like I said, if, if someone wants to pull a death note someday and Kadoja gets popular and they want to hand me a briefcase full of cash for more Kadoja stories, I'll be like, I have an idea. But for now, it's ending. I had been under the working title of Apocalypse. That was the working title that I had had. The ideal working title for Kadoja Volume 4 would be Endgame. But guess what? Endgame's not only taken, it's it's smothered, beat to the ground, resuscitated from the dead, and beat into the ground again. You know, and it's not just because Avengers Endgame did it. It's because a lot of people did it. It's, you know, Avengers Endgame sort of poured cement on it in terms of like, you sure you really want to do that? But it had been used before. And so um, so I, I recruited a person who has helped me a lot with titles, my wife. And the thing about my wife is she's not the kind of person that necessarily will give you your final title, but she's the kind of person that's going to give you what I call like the leapfrog ideas that get you from one place to the other. So like I can be stuck and then brainstorm. I've, I've brainstormed titles of like a band name, a DJ name, um, all kinds of things. A, a couple uh, story titles with her. And she she has a great purpose in being like that person that spurs on the ideas to make it final, right? So we go for a walk and I'm like, let's talk titles. This will take up our walk today. And so I tell her, I'm looking to like retitle this and make it something interesting. 
like an apocalypse, an end game, a, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, Ragnarok is obviously uh, Norse and overused. There's a great word in German called uh, Gotterdammerung, which I believe means Ragnarok, but that's too long and, you know, confusing. I wouldn't want to do that. But I told her that because that was the space I was in. And so we talk about it a little bit. We look up all the synonyms and it's just like there aren't any. They, they've all been used. Every single one of them has been used and beaten to death. So then she has this idea. She's like, I don't, I don't necessarily think this is what you should do. But what if you did this whole, like she, she, she said, to all the monsters I've loved before. And I was like, this idea of like a lengthy title. Now, something you and I, Scott, have talked a little bit about in in our spare time is this concept of lengthy titles being sort of a thing right now. Mm-hmm. It's definitely something a is, fad going yeah. on right now. Something is something is killing the children. We only find we them only when they're dead, etc. Exactly, exactly that kind of thing. But you know the the thing about the thing about fads is sometimes they do at some point like fads do one of two things. They settle into the uh, zeitgeist. To the point where you just sort of pull that type of idea whenever you want, or they go away. You know what I mean? Like polo shirts were a fad, and everybody wears polo shirts right now. Beanie babies were also a fad, <laughs> you know? So, and you never know in the moment which fad you're really looking at. You know, are you looking at something that's just gonna become something everybody does, you know, from now on, or something that you look back on a certain era and be like, oh, that's right, that's what we all did back then. But, the thing I took from her idea was not necessarily this lengthy title thing, but the idea of using a song title as a way to spur it on. So I told her, I'm like, okay, let me use some metal song titles to think what might work. So I'm going to go through my process. So after that, the first idea I had was Dyer's Eve, which is a song by Metallica. It's the final song on um, And Justice for All. And I was like, I like Dyer's Eve. But then, then my wife kept on saying, you mean like Dire, like D-R-E? Like, what about Dire Straits? And it's like, no, Dire Straits is like a crappy rock band. I don't want, I don't want volume four to be Dire Straits, right. you know? And then she was like, well, I don't like Dyer's with an apostrophe S. So I'm like, okay. Kadoja, so Godsmack, then- volume four. <laughs> Actually, you know, Godsmack isn't that bad. Uh, but uh, where were you when we were doing this? Anyway. There was, um, a, um, there was a super badass Magic the Gathering card, which was the card to get back. In, I'm, I'm old as shit. So it was Wrath of God. And okay. it basically kills everything. And yeah. I'm like, that's the fucking most metal card ever wrath yes. of god is that card like three three thousand dollars now if not more it's it would have to be I, I don't even know because like magic's weird if the card is basically like oh it's defunct now you can't use it it loses its oh value. i see yeah well i thought the whole thing about magic the gathering too was there was this paper scissors rock nature where like wrath of god was totally invincible unless you had fluffy teddy bear right right and then you could destroy wrath of god with your fluffy teddy bear like it, it had that way of having checks and balances yeah i think so that, that was the yeah. one card that didn't have the check for that so it was balance. basically one fucking ring to rule them all yes. and then they were like wait 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 we we accidentally created the san francisco 49ers on tech mobile this is a <laughs> yeah. this is a rolling blade of a rolling ball of blades that can't be stopped it is problematic you know? yes yeah, yeah, so, I got you. But it's super badass title. I was just like, oh, yes, this is the name totally. of the card was, it was just so badass. It like, and then when you drop it, it's like, 
Wrath of God. And you're just oh, like, fuck. fucking flip the table. <laughs> Everybody you know? go the fuck home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so anyway, so we left off at Dyer's Eve. And then I was like, well, Symphony of Destruction. I like Symphony of Destruction. And that's a very popular Megadeth song. Because my, my thing to my wife was, look, I could... I want to, like, if I'm going to do this song title thing, I want to explore metal song titles because Kadoja is very metal in terms of his essence and some of its soundtracks even metal. And then, but then it was like, well, wait a minute, though. Symphony of Destruction might just might invoke copyright problems. I don't think it would. You know, the, the general little mini copyright thing here is that, first of all, you can create a song called Symphony of Destruction. You could, you know, um... When it comes to things like brands, I'm trying to think of the example I had where, like, you couldn't, you can't have a movie. I mean, I don't think you can. I think you might have to pay the people of Jurassic Park if you had, like, a movie called Jurassic Park. I, I think it's like you can't have the same title if you can confuse the product. So, yeah, you, exactly. Yeah. So, you so can't. I could have a fucking beer called Jurassic Park, but I can't have a movie called Jurassic Park. Right. That's sort of the way it works. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, so because of that, though, I was like, well, I I went to the final title and I was like, Symphony of Madness. That's what I want, because madness plays a prominent role in this arc. It's the escalation of the horror. I like it. It's never been used. The only thing that I didn't like about it, it came down to Symphony of Devastation and Symphony of Madness. I personally feel that Symphony of Devastation rolls off the tongue a little bit easier, but I think Symphony of Madness tells you more about the arc in its title. So, and it's sort of wrong-footed, and that's why I liked it. So, you know, the, the kind of titles that tend to stick for me are the titles that don't feel quite right when you first say them, and there's a little bit of resistance. And then after about a day or two, you're like, it just feels natural that that's exactly what it should be. So, anyway... We settled on Symphony of Madness. Kadoja Volume 4 is going to be Symphony of Madness. I put that on the ash can, and I'll be sending that off to the printer soon. Um, And it only touches on another Marvel movie a little bit, the Multiverse of Madness, which is the Doctor Strange movie. But That's okay. They stole my idea. I didn't steal theirs. (laughs) Come at me, Marvel. Come at me. (laughs) Who do you got? Disney? Back in you? Who you got? Uh, exactly. Fuck. Fuck your lawyers. Yeah. No. It's, but it's it's <laughs> no it's no. Symphony it's it's madness, nowhere so, close. Yeah. But it's just the word madness. It's just like oh yeah, multiverse of madness is coming out and like you oh, had totally. the end game thing. So I just wanted to point that out. Oh yeah. Well, for for me, it's more it's more about. No, sorry. I was just gonna say it's more about in the mouth of madness is the one that I yeah, and that's kind of what I'm trying to evoke. One of my favorite movies of all time and a Lovecraftian extravaganza. Oh, there you go. Yeah. No, I like it. I dig it. Um definitely a good choice and yeah Rachel definitely sent you on the right path and uh, just thinking of other things and and uh, honestly that's kind of what I was going to go with you know like before you even said anything you know with the choices you were thinking of I was like well there's a, definitely a easier route for you to take is just yeah go into the thing which you've already done before is tap into metal you know a lot of mm-hmm. your monsters have been named after uh, obscure metal bands so yeah why not tap into that more there's tons of wicked crazy song titles or, or album titles that you can go into and they'll bring you down that same realm without, yeah. you know, invoking the apocalypse or, or, uh, totally. you know, end game stuff like that. Totally. Cool. Totally. Um, do we want to, I, I think that's pretty much good for me as far as my weekly progress. That's mostly what I've been tackling. I got some commission stuff. I got to do 
next week I have to, I put it off for a couple of weeks already just to get myself jump started back on Wanderers 3, but I'm in a nice flow there. So I'm going to have to start tackling those commissions because, uh, I have a, you know, my regular wrestling client that I, I do, um, work for, it's like, he's been waiting for a while. And then there's a couple of other little things that have popped up. So it's just like, let me bang that stuff out, make some side money before I go on vacation. And, uh, yeah, but besides that, I, I think I'm good. How about you? I have a couple more things, but they're quick. Okay, go for so it. So the, the, the couple other quick things are I did do the Kadoja Volume 2 scene outline. I have, you know, I, I've gotten an agreement with the artist that I'm going to be working with on Kadoja um, Symphony of Madness issue two. And that is a guy named Luke Horseman, who is super badass. I encourage people to check him out. He does some really cool stuff, and I think he's going to bring a cool element to Kadoja. I'm really excited about that. But to do that, uh, he's ready to go on March 1st, and my script is not ready to go at all. So I will be writing that shit out probably this weekend, or at least over the next uh, week and a half, two weeks, and then I'll be able to deliver it to him. But I did do the scene outline to get that uh, fired up, you know, and then and then it'll just be a matter of sitting down and, and writing the scenes. So that's my third thing. And then my fourth thing, which is more about just kind of being the CEO of your own small company is that uh, we're working on a couple, we're working on a couple alternate covers for Three Protectors. You know, the Kickstarter is going to be launching soon. Um, probably a week or so around from when this airs, we should be launching it if I if I have my dates right. So when we record next week, we'll probably be talking about what I expect to be the launch for Three Protectors. But uh, I just got a cover back, which is going to be one of the alternates. So I'm really excited for that. We've got a couple cool artists under the Invader umbrella working on that. And then I have an artist through Lance who's doing another one of the covers. And I'm very excited about him. I'm very excited about both of them. But it's always cool. You know, like, look, as a writer, and in your case, as an artist, when you're paying for stuff, too, you're paying for stuff. So the pain is paying for it. The glory is absolutely everything else. You get to provide your input on stuff. You know, earlier today, this moved pretty fast. Uh, they had done a cover concept and the cover concept looked really cool. Lance liked it. We gave them the green light. And then five hours later, I got like the rough version of the cover with uh, with what we have in it. And uh, man, it looks really good. I'm excited. Nice. You know, so it's just it's just fun to see the money turning into like this thing, this fucking thing, you know, that that's getting closer and closer to launching. And it's, it's just very exciting. So again, I'm excited. I, I was always excited for Kadoja, but three protectors is, you know, what, what do people say? Like your stories are like your babies, you know, your books are, are your babies. And, and this is a new one and it's different and it's got a different DNA. Cause that's how kids are. And um, I'm really excited to, to get behind this and, and, uh, and, put it out in the world very very soon nice oh one final thing too i got a quick quick uh early first draft of the video that's going to be on the kickstarter from martin too it looks really good although uh i fucking hate looking at myself i hate looking at myself i hate videos of myself i generally hate pictures of myself so i had to suffer through two minutes of like looking at myself which i can't stand but you know you have to you have to sometimes to be critical about it but i was just like fuck am i that skinny like <laughs> jesus christ you know like i look so thin in this video it's just the kind of stupid shit that i do anyway uh, yeah. but yeah that's it for me yeah the getting getting new covers alternate covers anything like that coming in it's so exciting um i have a couple of people lined up 
for um, Wanderers 3 already. Uh, one of my buddies, Gabo, and he did uh, he did the Life After. Uh, I think that was uh, Oni Press. And uh, yeah, he's an amazing artist. He does a lot of creatures. He does a lot of anthrop- anthropomorphic creatures. And, hey and yeah, so he just falls right in line. I've known him since um, issue one of Second Shift. So that was, you know, what, seven years ago or whatever, eight years at this point. And so he was he was one of the first pros that me and Ed got to meet. Uh, we met him at WonderCon. Him and Richard Starking, they always used to share they always used to share a booth. I think they still do. And so we started talking to them and uh Gabo was really cool about everything. We we're like, hey, we're we're making our own comic, you know, we have you know, this is this is the first issue or whatever. And, um, you know, we want to give it to publishers, you know, we were wondering if you could maybe look at it or whatever. So he looked it through and he goes, Hey, this is pretty cool. And I was like, Hey man, just, just keep it or whatever. We appreciate your time. And, um, he got a hold of me and he goes, Hey, you know, and it was a few months after it was like, I don't know, maybe four or five months after we had met him and he got in contact with me and he goes, Hey man, this issue was really good. I actually liked it a lot. It reminds me of like nineties comic books. He goes, it was really fun. And I was like, dude, thank you. That's so awesome. And he goes, yeah, keep it up, you know, uh, keep the good work. And, and like, cause he had said something, you know, a little more extended and uh, it's actually the, the quote on the back of the trade paperback. Uh, and I had asked him, I said, Hey, is it cool if I, if I quote you on that? And he goes, yeah, man, absolutely. So he's just always been very cool to us, you know, as a working pro and us just being some indie schmucks, like from the very beginning. And so I hit him up because he's always been, he always backs the Kickstarters and he always, uh, you know, will retweet and comment. And so I really appreciate that. And so, yeah, he's going to be working on an alternate cover for Wanderers 3. And then I also had one that I already had previously done. And um, I'll announce that more uh, a little bit later on. But yeah, so so that's what I got going on. And it's it's just, it's fun, man. It's fun to get those those extra books. Brett the Hitman Heart. That's, that's right. That's, that's who it is. Oh wait, that was the last time that you had a secret, and then you couldn't announce it for a while. Uh, no, that's 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 awesome. I mean, again, it's 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 just fun, you know. Like we we spend the money to make these books to be the CEO of our own very small company, and we get to enjoy the rewards, which mm-hmm. are art that involves our characters, art that we can put out there, art that we get to take forever and just be like, wow, this is something I did. I could have bought records or books or sneakers with this but you know we we kept the art thing going which is which is always cool i love having original art and that's usually one of the criterias i i have when i find these alternate cover artists um there's some guys that are just they're digital artists that's all they do and their work is so beautiful that you just bite the bullet and go okay well whatever you know it's all digital but hey i get that as an alternate cover there's no problem there um one of the guys i got for Wanderers 2 was this guy, Alex Rigel. And I found him on, um, it was Rick Remender's Instagram page. And he had done a fan piece of uh, Fear Agent, which is a book I love. And I was like, man, this piece is so badass. So I went on Alex Rigel's page, you know, cause uh, Remender put it on his and goes, hey, this guy did a fan piece and it's, it's awesome. So I started following him and looking at all of his pieces. And I was like, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't really work in the comics industry. He just did a fan piece. And so I hit him up. And so I got him to do a cover for Wanderers 2, a Kickstarter exclusive cover. And it's so amazing. And then uh, he was just like, oh, I'm actually working with Rick Remender on a project right now. And this was after he had already finished the cover. 
And I was like, oh, no shit. And he goes, yeah, I can't talk about it, but but uh, yeah, I, I'm working on a project with him. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. And then I'm going through all my issues that I've bought over the last how many months. I'm making a, a, a hard effort to read all of my books that I've been picking up lately. And what do you know? I pick up, uh, I believe, Scumbag, The Scumbag, number 10, which is a, a title I've been collecting. And sure enough, Alex Rigel did the cover and he did the interiors. So it's just like, man, I, I got a guy that's worked in, you know, mainstream comics to do my cover. You know, I've got Brett Booth. And, yeah. and uh, so this is another feather in the cap where you find you find the guy before he gets into the, the comics industry and, uh, you know, get him to do a cover for you. And I own that piece. And so I have yeah. this portfolio and I have a bunch of pieces on the wall. I have this portfolio full of alternate covers that I have or my even my covers or just commission pieces I've gotten over the years of my characters by famous artists. And then I have these covers on my wall, you know, and I just get to yeah. stare at them and go, this is badass. Look, you know, m- money well spent. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I don't, I tend to get more digital than uh, physical, but uh, that doesn't change the fact that I own it. It's sort of my own version of an NFT, even though I don't fucking understand what that means. Cause I still don't understand <laughs> NFTs or crypto or any of that shit. Right. What I understand is that there were roughly 800 crypto ads during the Super Bowl. And apparently, if I'm the kind of man that actually has a ball sack, I would, I would invest in crypto. Yeah, but I'm not that guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. not that guy. You know yeah. what's funny is yeah. there, there, there's been a lot of talk about the metaverse lately. Like, oh, you should buy property in the metaverse, which is essentially a digital world, right? Right. Well, we know how shitty Twitter is. P- people suck on Twitter. There's a lot of shitty people. So you're telling me I'm going to invest in property in a world where everyone gets to be shitty because yeah, there's no accountability for it. You don't get punched in yeah. the face in the metaverse. So everyone's going to be an asshole. And that's what you want me to invest in? Yes. No, thank you. I'm going to improve my life here in the real world. And you all yeah. fuck with that. And I'm cool. Yeah, and I, that That is funny. It's like It's like Twitter really is the digital version of yourself if that self was just a piece of shit asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. So no thank you. No metaverse for me. That's why I hate it. I I hate Twitter. You know, like, what what did I just have happen? I just actually had... Number one, sorry, I've been wanting to get this in. The Sixers just won. So that's good. Um, And this will hold up better than you think because the All-Star break's about to happen. So, like... This would have been like the Sixers' second most recent game, even by the time this airs. We beat Milwaukee going into the All-Star break without Harden. So, yeah. That's something. Let's go. That's something. Yeah, man. Hey, you know what it beats? It beats losing to Boston by 48, which we did the other night. That was brutal. 48? Yeah. I didn't want to text <laughs> you. Fuck? I was just oh, like, I nah. <laughs> I'll, well, I'll talk what to you do? <laughs> Dude, because what do you do? You know, like, I'd, I'd almost rather, I'd rather lose by 48. I'd rather watch the Sixers lose by 48 10 times than have to watch another video of Kawhi's jumper hitting the rim four times before going in. Because <laughs> if you lose by 48, you got the fucking shit kicked out of you. You know, like none of your shots were falling. All of their shots were falling. Let's go have a beer. That's that's all you can do. You it's know? so funny because I have the reverse uh, thought process on that. It's like they only won because of the luckiest bounce in history. It's just like, yeah. That's fine. You got the luckiest fucking bounce anyone could ever fucking get, and you won. That, okay. All right. That's fine. Let me ask you this, though. I'm I'm trying to think of this. As a Laker fan, have you ever been on the wrong end of that? I can't think of any times where you've been on the wrong end. You've got the Derek Fisher jumper, right? 
That's that's like your clutch thing where San Antonio fans, anybody who's a Spurs fan right now is like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> you know, like, but. Well, then they also got the the uh, Bosch rebound to Ray Allen in yeah. the finals. So the Spurs have a couple so, of them. Why are we dumping on Spurs fans? Yeah, man? sorry, guys. Fair. You guys are already. Yeah. It's like kicking, you know, kicking someone when they're down. But it's not because they're like the third most successful NBA franchise ever. Yeah, but and, they're just down right now, you know. Yeah, <laughs> just like, sure, sure. Um, sure. Yeah, and then we have endless Kobe buzzer beaters so it's just like we're yeah, usually yeah. the ones dishing those out so yeah yeah so so let me let me tell you what it's like on the other side okay that fucking Kawhi jumper is the iconic moment from their title run and i never know when it's coming like i can just i can just be sitting back watching basketball and then all of a sudden something happens and it's like hey you know what that reminds me of reminds me of Kawhi's jumper and it's like why are you doing me like that, man? Like, so I didn't... someone throwing water in your face while you're having a steak dinner. Like, what the like, fuck? I'm enjoying a steak dinner. What the hell is going on? Why, why, why did this come out of nowhere like that? That's not fair. So anyway, um, so yeah, yeah. Losing by 48 in a weird way is is easier to stomach. Interesting. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we should get to our main topic. Yes, I had back something to else comics. to talk Sorry, about. Sorry, guys. Yeah. The, the yeah. basketball talk came a little bit earlier, but yeah. It, you're okay now. You're okay. You could have you could have just hit fast forward like a couple thirty second things and you'd have been fine. Yeah. And now we're through it. Congratulations, <laughs> you made it. If you fast forwarded like a minute and a half, and we're going to talk about three act structure. Um, I want to go a little inside baseball here though, because the usual process that we do for for the podcast is that. So like Scott might come with an idea for, uh, you know, our main topic. And I'm like, okay, cool. What's inferred is that if he's coming with the main idea, he's probably going to be driving the conversation. But for this one, he's like, let's do three act structure. And I was like, cool, man, what you got? He's like, well, I'm really interested in bouncing stuff off you. And I'm like, fucking what <laughs> you know like <laughs> so anyway so uh i i actually stalled this was something that we were going to have as a main uh episode about three or four episodes ago but what i did was um you know this is a good time it, it, hey the 13 percent is kicking in so i get to go on as many fucking side side vendors as i want as and we'll try to stay focused right. no more no more basketball guys we right. promise yeah yeah um i've i've been keeping journals for about the last seven years and for for the first half of that time, you know, it was like a typical journal. Like I'm just writing down thoughts. I'm writing down you know what's going on. I like trying to capture that stuff because it's amazing how much that just goes away. And you can say like, what? What was that entire trip like? What did I do? Here's three pictures. That's all I remember. But if you consult a journal, it just brings it all back. You're like, yes, I did this. I had that flavor of ice cream. I went to this place and then I went to that place. So I love capturing stuff like that. But more importantly, I captured every lecture I ever had as part of my UCLA writing certificate. So I have some structure basics in front of me. So I figured, Scott, since you said you have some questions, uh, why don't I do like a little mini lecture for a little bit on three-act structure okay. and then tee it up to where I think we're going to end up going with this, right? Because everything I read about structure just leads me to the same place. Act one is the beginning. Act two is the middle, and act three is the end. All right, guys. So if you have any questions, hit us up. <laughs> yeah, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> That's one way of parsing it, right? That doesn't really help at all. Where that does help is it... So this is novelty. 
what you really see with three-act structure, which I think we're going to come back to a couple times, whether we're being conscious about it or not, is the medium really is going to dictate your um, rigidity to this three-act structure. So when we talk about movies with a three-act structure, movies tend to be religious to three-act structures. At the 20-minute mark, you're going to have your big incident that carries you into act two. And then at whatever it is, I don't know, the 70 minute mark, you know, 80 minute mark, blah, blah, blah. You're going to have your moment that carries you into the final act. Like movies are notorious for that. Television is notorious for that, for just being very formulaic to that. Um, But a couple other ways which are much more interesting uh, to talk about in terms of three act structure are act one is introduction. Act two is complication. And act three is resolution. Right. So there is an assumed, you know, like this is novel stuff, but there's an assumed ratio for these three acts. Act one is supposed to be roughly 25% of your story. Act two is supposed to be roughly 50 and act three is supposed to be roughly 25 just to give you an idea. So that's the novel thing. That's also the movie thing and the TV thing in general, but it's a rule of thumb, right? Like, Look, if if you want to pick, I think I talked about this before, that the shows, or you know what I talked about this on? I have this episode of, I just realized, it's of Kaiju Cast with my buddy Kyle from way back in the day, and we were talking about Japanese television on an episode. It's in October of like 2015 or 16, if anybody wants to go look it up on the Kaiju Cast page. It's fun. It's a fun episode. And that Japanese television, you know, shows like Kamen Rider, Inazuman, um, Kakaida, they're so formulaic, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, Supaidaman, actually, which Marvel just spotlighted in the 616 series. Um, Japanese Supaidaman is so formulaic in that, like, you know that at, like, whatever minute mark it is, the six-minute mark, you're going to have your complication that leads you into Act 2, and you know at 18 minutes you're going to have the complication that leads you into Act 3. It happens every single time. You could map it out number-wise and really see that. So... But this is meant to give you an idea, right? And then the final, which I think is the most interesting way of looking at it, is Act 1 is possibility, Act 2 is probability, and Act 3 is necessity. And I I believe I stole that from Charles Johnson, who, I think that's his name, who wrote a um, a Booker Award-winning book back in the 90s called Middle Passage, which is fantastic. Um, So that's something he talked about in, uh, in his session with the class. So no matter how you look at it, what you have is you have this act one, which, you know, in common terms is about introducing things, introducing people, introducing characters, introducing the world, introducing the stakes, right? And then act two is where you complicate things. You know, now now you're in the middle. You're in the part where you are, um, you're turning this possibility of a world into the probability of a story and of this story and what's going to happen in this story. And ideally, you're also complicating things. And then obviously you get to the end where you have necessity, right? What things in this world, in this story, are driving what the lead character has to do to get us to the end of the novel? And how does that resolve itself? So that's kind of a fusion of taking the three things of a three-act structure in so many ways. And I know that's, on, on one hand, it's intuitive. On the other hand, it can be, you know, a lot to take in. And this is where 
this little blah, blah, blah lecture part leads to like what I think is the interesting part of it, which is, I'm going to give a personal example, okay? I went back and looked at the novel I'm writing right now. And I tried to identify the clean, you know, there's this idea, is it called turning point? I think it's called the turning point, right? Which is this moment at which you go from act one to act two and act two to act three. Yeah, turning point is the official term. I couldn't really identify an act one turning point or an act two turning point in my own novel. So this is where formula kind of leads to intuition. And where something that we have said repeatedly through this podcast really comes comes to fruition. Which is, that's the rule, okay? Like, it's just the rule. It's an idea. And we're making comics. You know, that's that's why we talked about how, like, move, look, movies, TV, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to write movies and TV then you can you can stop listening to this part and then just fast forward a while so you can listen to us talk about whatever dope shit we're going to talk about at the end of the podcast. We don't even know, but we're going to get to it, right? So you can skip the part where we're talking about breaking the rules because in movies and TV, you really can't and you shouldn't. And if you do, your script's going to get tossed, right? And nobody's going to buy it. In novels, it tends to be more fluid. In comics, it can be extremely fluid, and that's when your own intuition really comes into play because comics aren't a movie. Comics don't have a beginning, middle, and end. You know, like, Scott writes the second shift. You're 12 issues in, dude. We have no idea whether you're in act one, two, or three right now. Right. You know, like, we have no fucking idea. You could write 100 issues of this comic, you know, or... You could get smitten by some amazing idea for Wanderers of Melisanda. Three days from now, someone could hand you a briefcase full of cash and say, I want to write you to write Wanderers of Melisanda full time. And Second Shift immediately goes to the back burner for 10 years. None of us knows where that's going to go. And that's the tricky thing about comics when you you don't really have this movie idea for your comic where you know it's ending. You know, like many comics are meant to be ongoing stories and that's where you have to really incorporate these ideas into what you're doing on a per issue or per arc basis instead of on a per entire story basis right i think that was what's going to be one of my questions was so how do you incorporate the three-act structure in a continuous series so i think my rough idea because i'm an artist ed is the writer i don't i don't know about I just know the very basics of a three act structure. Like, you know, the very first thing you laid out about a three act structure, that's pretty much all I knew. So like, I've never taken a writing course or anything like that. So I was very curious as to what you were going to say. So you said a lot there and which, which was cool. Um, so if we used basically, uh, the TV model, um, or the movie model, it's like, okay, so we have essentially 20 to 22 pages in a standard American comic book. So that would be five pages would be the first the first act and then you have 10 to 11 pages being the second act and then you have five to six pages being the last act so if you were going to do a one shot that's how you would probably break it down um right does that make sense it totally does i'm going to let you talk for a while and then we'll see where where else it's going to go okay and then so my my basic idea um of how that would continue through a story arc it would be 
you laying the foundation in that story of the threads that you need to continue. So something that I, I like to do, and, and me and Ed will will collaborate on this, um, you know, when we're going over the skeleton. So when we very, the very first time we met up to talk about the second shift, Ed was like, well, let's create a skeleton. And I was like, what do you mean? I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck does that word mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am artist. I draw stuff. So, um, and then he goes, you know, it's where you basically, we're going to lay out the history of where, where this book's going to go. And you said you want the first story arc to be uh, five or six issues. So let's lay it out. What do you want to happen in these issues exactly? Like roughly what information do you want in each issue? And I'm like, well, I kind of want to rotate between um, superhero action and day job action. So the first issue will be mostly superhero action, but the second issue I want there to be a lot of day, day job stuff. And uh, so we're like, okay, so that's the first two issues. And I'm like, okay, three is more action. You know, four, you get some day job, but more action. And then uh, the fifth issue being the conclusion of the story. So we kind of used, uh, well, I, I'd imagine Ed used that that skeleton of what I wanted to he happen in each issue. And so he used that to go, okay, well, that would kind of make the first two issues, uh, you know, like the first act, you know, and then you get three and four, which is the second act, and then issue five wraps it all up, essentially. Um, or you start to wrap it up at the end of four. So, so I was like, okay, that's cool. You know, like that's how it seemed to have been broken down after we had it all said, after it was all said and done. Um, so you have to have, have these continuous threads, I'd imagine, to push the story forward. So issue one, like, okay, you have the big bad that's established in issue one. And that's the guy you're going to be, your team's going to be facing off with throughout that story arc. But you have to have little, little villains, little, little, you know, um, uh, uh, issues that the characters have to deal with through those other issues. So you you can have some some uh, closure in each issue to a degree. So it's just like okay, the heroes defeated these smaller villains, you know, like oh these bank robbers or whatever these hoodlums. You got to defeat them. So so you get some you, you get the hurrah there, but you move the story forward because the main villain isn't captured. So that that's how we laid it out. And that's how I can see the structure in those first five issues going uh, to go with this three act structure. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Okay. Um, and so I'll I'll riff a little bit on that. I, I think so. I have a, I had a couple thoughts that I jotted down while you were talking, and they're really about some comics that I think are good examples of. So here's a comic I think is a great example of taking single issue stories and using three act structure, you know, more or less, right? Because this is making comics. It's not making novels. It's not making television. It's not making movies. Batman adventures is fantastic. You know, like I'm just going with my intuition here. The Batman adventures was a comic that spun out of Batman, the animated series in the nineties, either, either or both Bruce, Tim and Paul Dini worked on that book and every issue is self-contained. That's what's so beautiful about it. It's clean. It's all ages. It reads fast. And every single issue is basically an episode of the TV series. So if you're interested in what a one issue three act structure might look like, take a look at that, right? And, and do your best to apply 
these three act structure ideas to it. Maybe not beginning, middle, end, that doesn't help you, but you know, this idea of introduction, complication, and resolution, right? I think that's that's the one I like the most. Um, although, you know, the other one's pretty good too about turning, you know, what is it, uh, possibility into probability and into necessity. In terms of this larger arc, yeah, I mean, again, you're you're at this point where, so for second shift, I think the way to look at it, the way I look at it is arcs are what you talk about, you know, and, and this is how I talk about Kadoja at shows and how, Scott, you could probably talk about Kadoja for me at shows. The first movie is Terror Mountain Showdown. The second movie is Valley of the Giants. It's five issues. It's you know, a movie length story. It would it's what would get made into a movie. And I have no idea whether it has a goddamn beginning, middle, or end, but all I know is it's a five issue story that seems to flow like a movie. And this is the kind of thing where the more you read and the more you bake into your brain, the more just intuition takes over. And you understand where these things are without necessarily sketching them out, you know? So yes, for Second Shift, I think that all makes sense. I think the the actual big bad for this particular arc would be the three-act structure, right? The taxidermist. Here's the introduction of the taxidermist. Here's the complication about the taxidermist. And here's the resolution about the taxidermist. Where the the ongoing stuff of the characters comes in is, it, it's more of like, who knows if that's even part of the three-act structure. I guess the way I'd say that is, that's outside the three-act structure. The three-act structure in your case and in an ongoing comic series case would be simply, what does this arc do and what does it look like? Where the characters, as they develop, as they interact, that just becomes part of the overall fabric of the story that keeps people wanting to read beyond this arc. You know, and um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's to me, that's that's the way that I segment that in my head. Um, another Batman book, which, you know, just a random coincidence that this happens to be two Batman books. But the problem the problem with Batman Adventures is by me recommending that I'm probably signing listeners up for eBay hell, which you get enough of from Scott and I. So Batman Adventures is slightly collectible. You're not going to find it really cheap, although I'm sure you can find graphic novels that collect it for cheap if that's something you're really interested in. And if it is, I encourage you to seek out just a cheap copy of a graphic novel or two to get the idea of it. Because it's one thing to read books on how to do it. It's so much better to see it actually get done by somebody and have you apply that backwards and like sit down with a pencil and say, here's what they're doing here and here's what they're doing there. Batman issues number 451, if, if I remember right, it's 451 through 453. Just a quick three-issue arc. It's called Dark Knight, Dark City. It is it is the, one of the arcs that got me into loving the dark side of comics. It is, it is quite evil for a Batman book, and I recommend it highly. Again, one of my favorite stories, something that really got me hooked way back in the day on comics. And I think you can find it cheap. I've been coming across it a lot in the comic shops I've been, either one issue of it or multiple issues of it. So again, pretty sure it's Batman 451 through 453, Dark Knight, Dark City. It has a nice way of breaking down this larger act into smaller things. Because something you were talking about, Scott, just now is this idea of the the individual single issue level obstacles that people have to overcome. 
And I think that ties into something we just talked about, which is this idea of like every scene should have an obstacle that someone has to overcome on some level. Maybe it's not some kind of important obstacle, but scenes are about this conflict, this tension, this this thing that has to get solved. And obviously a single issue can take a couple of those things and turn them into a larger arc as well while serving the purpose of the big arc of this particular three-act structure that you're in at the moment. Yeah, no, that all makes sense to me, man. Um, yeah, the, the the breakdown that you laid out, I can easily see that applied to one-shots. It's just like, oh, okay, that's that's very clear, you know, how you want to break things down. And as you were talking about it, I was just going over all of the issues of the second shift that Ed has written. And I'm like, yeah, we kind of, we seem to have this introductory scene and it's about five pages. Almost every time it's about five or six pages where it's like, oh, this is the beginning scene. And then it goes, ta-da, now you want to read the rest of the book. You know, by issue five or page five, excuse me, there's an incident of some sort that propels the story forward and uh, brings you into the next part of it, which is the more intriguing part. But, um, you know, th- that fifth or sixth page is what really kicks it forward. The, if we're talking about pure ratios, then if, if theoretically what you want is to invoke the purest possible ratio of a three-act structure in your comic, then make every single story arc four issues. And at the end of issue one, so issue one would be act one, issues two and three would be act two, and issue four would be act three. And therefore, issue f- issue one and issue three would have the sickest fucking cliffhangers as you have this big moment that leads you into the next issue. Now, what that means for you as a comic creator is you, you need to figure out how to get people from issue two to issue three. And the ongoing, I mean, it's, it's like, a, it's so common, it's almost cliche, is that act two sucks. <laughs> In my novel class, every single one of us to a person has gotten bogged down in Act 2. Because introducing the world is cool, and having your kick-ass resolution is cool. It's complicating shit in the middle and making your, you know, you used this phrase uh, recently, uh, how Ed likes to put your characters, quote, through the ringer, right? That's what Act 2 is. Act 2 is putting your characters through the ringer and trying to find enough multiple ringers for your character go to go through that get you to this point that leads you to the kick-ass Act 3 that you've probably thought of a long time ago. So anyway, I don't know, man. Yeah, the- it, I, I know that's a lot to take in. The thing about a lot of this is it's intuitive. And, and as long as you are out there doing what you should be doing, you should be working on your craft every day, and you should be writing, watching, If you're not reading or watching it, I don't know what other ways you're doing it because you're probably watching it somewhere, you know, but that's where the way you incorporate this pop culture just into your subconscious should pay off to where this stuff feel just gets so intuitive. You're not even paying attention to it. Yeah, that happens. Uh, I mean, when I was training, uh, this is, you know, old, old stuff again. So when I was training to be a wrestler, um, Right before that, I was doing like trampoline wrestling with my friends, like nothing crazy. We were, it was like we we're just, you know, acting out matches that I would write down. I'd be like, OK, this is here. Let me write the match out. So I'd, I'd write it out. Right. So then I got trained in pro wrestling. And there's a 
basically seven act structure in pro wrestling that they teach you about. And, uh, so it's like, okay, and, and so I'm training or whatever. And I, and I learn the formula and then, you know, months go down, uh, down, months down the line, I find my, my old camera and I find all of the matches that I had written out and reading the matches. I had the seven act structure that, that is a pro wrestling match. And I'm like, look at that. I was watching wrestling for so long that I knew how the matches were constructed without knowing how the matches were constructed. So as, yeah. a, as a teenager, I had it figured out. I didn't realize I did, but I did. So, you know, not, not everyone is like that. I was, I took to wrestling very quickly. Like I was, you know, so I'm not being braggadocious or anything, but there was like me and my, my tag partner, we were the standouts in our class. So, but it was something that I had learned over the years, just watching so much of it and reading so many comics. Um, you know, me and Ed, like when we started working together, we had never created a comic book before. So, but Ed's, you know, an educated man, I'm sure he read up and, um, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't have any, you know, comic creating classes or anything. I was just, you know, kind of working, working off of instinct. So, you know, seems things seem to work out. So, um, I think reading enough comic books, you kind of intuitively, you kind of get there. So that makes yeah. a lot of sense to me. Uh, as far as getting from like issue two to three, right? So if you're going to do that four issue thing, uh, you get the cliffhangers in issues one and three. That's been my thing is cliffhanger every issue. Every issue mm -hmm. needs a cliffhanger of some sort, whether it's giant or a medium sized one. There needs to be something to propel the reader into the next issue. So whatever you can figure out, get it done. And and I do it even for the end of story arcs, because that's something I've mentioned before is you don't want your audience to feel like, hey, that was a great story arc, but I think I'm good. You want to keep them, you want to keep them reading the next story arc or the next one shot or whatever. they You want the continued adventures of your characters to be read by this person. So exactly. even if your storyline is finishing up, well, guess what? I have another storyline coming up and here is the cliffhanger from that character into the next book. Yeah, totally, totally. I'm definitely having a 13.5% thought oh. because it was like a big cliffhanger at the edge of end of issue two could be, but boom, take that. <laughs> There's no way I'm leaving that in, <laughs> but, <laughs> but whatever, I don't care. <laughs> this, these are the thoughts that happen, right? Yeah. And, and if you want, if you want thoughts like that, which no listener is going to know existed, then grab yourself a 13.5 stout friend. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you do it. Yeah. But Kadoja, yeah, no, I mean, Kadoja, chocolate booty ho, my little pony <laughs> volume four. <laughs> oh, I, I am totally leaving that. In, however, <laughs> um, That'll be like the yeah, last I mean, word after the music plays at the end. Exactly. But, but like, I, I think, I think there's a lot to say, or there's, there's a lot baked into what you're just saying. People who listen to this podcast are probably thoroughly versed in what a structure is for a story because you've been you've been absorbing it forever not once have i ever sat down and said but what's the three act structure for my story it just it just comes naturally you know and and that's the cool thing about comics too this goes back to something we said at the top of this whole part comics i i would argue are the medium where you can screw the most with three act structure you can have multiple act ones into twos if that's really what you want to do you know like 
your choices are going to be different based on whether you have something that's a finite thing like mine, Kadoja, or something that is an infinite thing or an ongoing thing like Scott's. And, you know, Gary, I think, talked about this months ago. Comics, in many ways, are boxes within boxes. You know, you need to follow a certain structure in an issue, which follows a certain structure in an arc, which, if you choose to, follows a certain structure in a larger arc. To shout out the MCU, that's what makes the Infinity Gauntlet stuff so impressive, is that you had this individual story that you grab your grab hold of that served the purpose of a larger story. So it kind of combined the best of both worlds with both movies and television, which had that idea. You know, with, with comics, something I wanted to mention before, is when we talk about this arc-based three-act structure, we really have the graphic novel idea to thank for that. You know, because graphic novels came along in the 80s, if I remember right, And that was when it was like, yes, this is how comics broke through to a mainstream audience because they didn't have to worry about jumping on Fantastic Four number 353 and I've missed 352 issues. What am I supposed to do? No, you just pick up this graphic novel. It's got its own beginning, middle and end. And by by the graphic novel existing and collecting these larger arcs, it made people think in terms of collecting their stories into these arcs. So that that is almost intuitively just how we all think now. Anybody, any knucklehead like Scott and I who collects comics from the 60s and 70s will tell you that followed a very Monster of the Week thing, you know, to quote like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or or X-Files. You know, you had a single issue that told a story that also hinted at a larger theme. And you could see them playing with this idea, you know, like as someone who has a fair amount of old Fantastic Four issues, sometimes you'd have like three issues in a row that would actually tell a larger story, but then it would just go on to some other shit. So it was always about keeping this grain that went through all the issues while telling single issue stories that people could enjoy as a beginning, middle and end at their, you know, in and of themselves. And that's the beauty of comics. You can choose to do whatever you want. You want to tell a 50-issue arc? Go for it. You know, you want to tell a one-issue arc and then have a larger thing? Go for it. You want to do, like, the standard thing, which I think for these days is what I do, just collect your stuff into, like, movie-length volumes, then you can do that, too. You know, that's that's the cool thing. I I think comics offer the greatest flexibility of three-act structure out of the main media formats out there. And we have no budget restrictions. You can have the craziest batshit stuff happen in your story, and it doesn't cost you one penny extra. So Yeah, totally. All you got to do is think it and draw it, man. That's the best part about it. Right on, man. Wow. Yeah, it turned out we had a lot to say there, or I had a lot to say. I have no idea if that's going to be any good or not. I think so. I, I enjoyed all of it. Yeah. I, I, I hope that when I listen back, I'm going to be like, yeah, that really didn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> but all I know is that, you know, when I look back on this, there's going to be one set of footprints and the footprints are going to be the brewery Barrel Age Threes Co. Company that were carrying me the whole time. <laughs> Can I make that reference every episode for like the next 50 episodes? Yes. I hope so. Absolutely. I hope so. Hey, can we talk dumb shit? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Uh, all right. Should I lead off the dumb shit? Yeah. You sound like you Hold got on. something. I, I, I got I to gotta fucking, I got to go get this. You're going to see this, but the listeners can't fucking do this. Okay. 
Look at this fucking glorious ass thing. Ooh. Oh, that's awesome, man. Is that not is that not amazing? Keith, it is Yeah, go ahead. You just Keith is it. holding up uh the helmet of Boba Fett. That yes. is a life-size, like you could put that on his head yes. uh, version of the yes. helmet. That's that's awesome, man. Was that it a is, custom or did you buy that? Is that like a signature series thing or what? This is so this just came out. It just showed up yesterday. It is the I think they call it the Black Series. Okay. Star Wars one-to-one scale Boba Fett mask, man. It's amazing. And it's got it's got a couple of cool features. So I'm gonna I'm gonna delve into my own my old life. Uh, Scott mentioned his old life a little bit in wrestling, so it's fair for me to mention my old life. Uh, in Big Pimp Jones, we I had a song that... The, so Big Pimp Jones was a funk-only band that rose from the ashes of a live hip-hop band. And one of the songs that I had written way back in the day was a song called Rocking the House in a Boba Fett Mask. <laughs> if I've never talked about this on the podcast, I met Jeremy Bullock back at Wizard World Philadelphia back in the day. And it was he and his wife. And the crazy thing was the booth was empty. Like this wasn't, this was back in the day where like you would just walk up and pay the person money and that was it. You didn't buy some pre-ticket. You didn't do any of that crazy shit. You just fucking walked up and paid money and got like an autograph. And so I'm talking with Jeremy Bullock and his wife is there. So Star Wars fans will know, by the way, if you're, if you're drinking on Star Wars stuff, I hope you brought like a bottle of scotch with you. (laughs) So his wife is like just so awesome and he was so awesome and no one was in line behind me. So I was just talking to him and I told him this whole story about how I'm in a band and I have this song called Rocking the House in a Boba Fett Mask. So it's it's a song about how if you do something popular, everybody's going to copy it. That was the idea of it, you know, and that's that's just capitalism. If you do something popular, everybody's going to copy it. But it was also just obviously chocked full of Star Wars references. When I got him to sign the photo to me, he said, what would you like it to say? And I said, keep rocking the house in my mask. And, uh, and his wife cracked up at that. She was like, Oh, that's really cool. She's like, I've never had anybody say that. I'm like, well, yeah, that's makes sense. Right. So anyway, I still have that photo. In fact, if I can dig out that photo, I'll post it for this episode. Nice. Just, just to show that, um, nice silver Sharpie on keep rocking the house in my mask. I just got to go dig it up. I did this song live and, and it always, you know, like we're this funk band that did hip hop stuff. And, you know, we, we had a following, I guess for a while, for obvious reason, people always just reacted strongly to this, man. It was crazy. It was stupid. And therefore people loved it. Somehow I've lost the Boba Fett mask a long time ago. And, uh, and this thing is amazing. And the reason I say this is because this mask has a goddamn, like it has like a pad in the top of the helmet. Mm-hmm. So you can actually wear it and have it be comfortable. And like, I wish this was around back in the days when I was in fact rocking the house in a Boba Fett mask because it would like sit on my head all clumsy like a four-year-old wearing a fucking bucket basically (laughs) and and because of that I'd always have to like grab the actual mask with one hand and then hold the mic under the mask while I did all the rhymes in the song where was this like I could have just been like one hand free and at least just held the mic yeah so anyway the second it showed up, I was like, was this stupid? 
was I stupid spending all this money on this Boba Fett helmet? And now that I took it out of the packaging, I'm like, no, man, this this was brilliant. This was a great call on my part. It's <laughs> awesome, man. Now it looks it looks super badass. What'd you think of Book of Boba Fett? I haven't even finished it yet. Dude, oh, okay. which sort of which sort of answers the question, doesn't it? Right, right. You know, like I got three. Uh, my wife and I got three episodes in, and we haven't had the desire to watch it since. Right. Well, there's our non-spoilery review so far. So yeah, it, it's a non-spoil. I mean, I, I guess there is some shit that happens in it, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to I'll have to withhold judgment. It, I'll tell you about it when I see it. You know, much yeah. like um, did we talk about this on the podcast? Oh, we did. We did last week about how I finally saw Eternals on the flight yes. home mm-hmm. from Paris, and I was like, uh, this was actually pretty fucking cool. I don't know why everybody shit on it, you know, but. Um, so yeah, look forward to my Boba Fett review in four months. <laughs> right on. Cool, man. I just picked up my pulls for the week and something that came in and you might want to, I don't know, this might be up your alley because you're an Iron Fist guy, as is Ed. Um, Iron Fist number one came out with the new Iron Fist and the character that has it, this isn't, well, it's going to be a couple weeks since this book came out. So spoiler alert as to who the new Iron Fist is. It's a character named Lin Lai who was a Swordmaster. So go pick up Swordmaster number one if you want the first appearance of the new Iron Fist. Well, hold it. So you mean Iron Fist number one has the first appearance of the Iron Fist? Mm-hmm. Of a new Iron Fist. Well, then why did I buy all those Iron Fist 11s with the first appearance of pay? God damn it. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure that's, uh, you know, a character you need to pay attention to, too. Is she the blind one? Uh, I'm not sure. She's just a little girl. Oh, and, and Iron okay. Fist, uh, whatever that one's the living, the living weapon. I, I've only read the first few pages because I had to go. Um, it was a crazy busy day, but um, there's a character. She has a, a blindfold basically on over her eyes, and she is basically the Kunlun uh, uh, master essentially. So I don't know if that's I don't know if that's pay, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna go buy I'm gonna buy like eight of them on Midtown right now after we talk actually because. Um, because my wife and kid are out of town right now. It is it is uh it is the biggest fencing tournament of the year once oh. you turn 15. It is Junior Nash Junior Olympics, I apologize. And they just left this afternoon. And what that means is you would think that that means I'm home this weekend. But what it actually means is something I've scheduled with my mom and dad is um is that I had wanted to do just a little road trip. They had um they had said, hey, well, you know, if you ever want to do one of these road trips where you just wake up right and go to comic shops, take us along. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> so that's fine. So we're actually going to leave tomorrow. Of course, by the time this airs, it will have been more than a week in the past. But we're going to go not too far. We're going to go to Santa Barbara. We're going to go to Ventura and we're going to go to San Luis Obispo. There are a ton of comic shops and bookshops up there. So I, I'm going to be digging. And uh, hey, man, if you have any refresh list you want to send me, feel free. Okay. Because cool. I, yeah, yeah, my my list is getting a little whittled, and uh, I don't have a ton of shit to look for. So, um, yeah, if you got a couple things that you're just dying to see, I'm probably going to be in. I expect I'll be in at least three comic shops over the course of this weekend. So, okay. Cool. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I'm sure I got some stuff. Um, I finally got to read Made in Korea. I I finished. Oh yeah. One through five. I haven't read issue six yet. So it's a very interesting story. Uh, it's it's very cool, you know, the whole AI thing and, you know, 
the thing we all worry about, right? Like AI yeah. becoming too intelligent and all of that stuff. But it's been a very fun story so far. So, And there's another book that's interesting about AI called Not All Robots. Okay. I think that's by AWA Upshot. That one's, you know, like I'm not going to go out and say it's amazing, but it's fun. And if you like that kind of thing, if you like the iRobot Asimov type idea, then uh, yeah, man, check out Not All Robots too. Okay, right on. And what you so you like Made in Korea basically? I did. Yeah, so far so good. Uh, five issues in, I'm enjoying it. Um, the art is cool. It's different. It's a little lighter uh, in in um, uh, kind of detail. It kind of has an open line thing, which I enjoy. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just a different style. Uh, it's it's really good. It's a really good book. So it deserved all of the praise that it was getting. I think. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, um, I think I follow the writer on Instagram. And so yeah, it's it's been cool to see that. Oh, and what I gotta else? read. Uh, I gotta read yeah. Saga. I think it's what is it, fifty five, fifty four, fifty five, whatever the continuation is, because it, it took a long hiatus, and the first issue back finally came out. Um, so I enjoyed that. You know, it was it was nice. crazy. It was only two ninety nine. It was basically a double issue, and mm. uh, it was awesome going back into that world and seeing where the characters are at now, and it has a introduction to a new character. And it was just like two ninety nine. I was like, I haven't seen two ninety nine on a cover in feels like a year or two. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, I went back to the shop today, and they still had some copies on the shelf. So I grabbed a second copy. So oh I, yeah. Yeah. Ah shit! I wish I would have said something. Um, because uh, that's okay. I'm gonna be in a shitload of comic shops over the weekend, so it's okay. I'd imagine those shops. I'd imagine those shops ordered plentiful on Saga. So I think it'll be there. Something tells me it was like a top five book in the month that it came out, you know, just because everybody loves Saga and everybody should. It's an, it's an amazing book. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's kind of weird because like I'm the I'm like the, the photo negative Scott lost on this one. I have all the trades. So I'm wondering why the fuck I should jump over to comics because it's like, ah, I got all the trades. The trades are fine. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, I, I anyway. like the uh, well, you know me. I'm, I'm a single issues collector. And, yeah. um, um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, introduction to a new character. So I was just, he's right on the cover. So that's not a spoiler or anything. And yeah. uh, the, okay. So the funny thing that I'll, I'll say is there is a, a letters page and, uh, Brian K Vaughn is talking and he said, basically his son created that character on the cover. He looks like a giant koala with like a robot arm and, uh, nice. he, his son created it. And then like, if you've read Saga, you know that it is not kid friendly. Like there is sex, nudity, <laughs> like ogre balls. Like there's just yeah. so much, and there's definitely the, uh, the ogre balls are definitely the thing that seems to stick with people, right? Because it's like usually is, the first page. You open the page, and it's somehow just, it is. I know. How the fuck is that? It's it's like the 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 cosmic forces in the universe just get you on o- giant ogre balls. It's you the know? perverted or, Jack Kirby because Jack Kirby is notorious for. Um, opening page splash, double page splash. That's Jack yeah. Kirby. So Saga yeah. does that. Open page giant ogre balls, <laughs> double yeah. page. Yeah, and there's another ogre. one where yeah. it's like like open page, um, both characters having orgasm that conceives their child. Yeah. Right. I think that that one I remember opening on a plane, and I was like, "Fuck me," <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, there and then so there is nudity in this issue for sure. So it's so funny, like Brian K. Vaughn saying, "Oh, my kid wants royalties for this character he created." I'm like, I can't imagine your child reading this book. Like it's yeah, insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could tell the kid, like, "Sorry, fuck you." Is he yeah. 17? <laughs> like, yeah, because he shouldn't <laughs> exactly. be reading this book. <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
Um, you reading anything else that you're uh, that you're feeling right now? Um, so I'm still I'm still working through Moonshine, and that's been pretty good. It's not like um, it's not Saga or anything, but I'm enjoying it. That's for sure. Mm. And uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, I don't know if I've talked to you about this, but some of my wrestling buddies, um, Ed included, and uh, Steve Whistler Jr., we've been, uh, and one of our other buddies, Jack, um, uh, Cowboy Jack, we're in a comic club. So I gave them access to my Kickstarter uh, digitals, my digital files that has all the Kickstarter books in it that I've backed over the years. And uh, I'm like, hey, guys, here, you know, if you want more stuff to read, check these out. I've been going through them. They're pretty fun. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in reading. I'm like, hey, why don't we do a comic club? Why don't we all pick something to read? We'll all read it. Then we'll talk about it. And uh, so we've gone through many a book so far, I think, you know, like maybe like six or four different titles but a couple of them had like three issues each and then the first one we read was a trade it was uh sean gordon murphy's plot holes so uh we all read that we all liked that quite a bit it was a indiegogo book um and it, it was pretty awesome uh, i really really enjoyed that book as did everyone else that read it and then we've been going through you know unknowns essentially like indie guys that that went through kickstarter um, that I backed and we, we found nice. some stuff that we've liked and we found some stuff that we didn't like. And, um, you know, like one of the continuing threads that we found with a couple of the books that we didn't care for was something we've talked about on, on this podcast is characters not having any real issues. Like they're just too good at what they do. There's no really negative. There's no, uh, right. you know, mountain for them to, to get over. It's just like, mm -hmm. Hey, we're just great at everything. It's like, okay, well, this is super boring to read. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. make me think your character is the next Superman. It makes me think you don't know what comics are really about. Like, exactly. You need the struggle. Yeah. Cause if you've read Superman, you know that Superman has struggles too. Mm -hmm. Like, struggles come with being the most powerful fucking thing in the universe. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So, yeah, you're not, as a writer, you're not doing your work. Um, can I actually let me tell you one more stupid story? This is this is a story about something that I did not buy, and I actually feel okay with it. And like this is this is sort of like being married too, you know. So there's a website out there. I'm not going to say what it is. Where I was doing my my research, and I found that I didn't have a certain issue of Infinite Kung Fu. And so I did a Google search, and sure enough, this website had it. You know, it's not eBay. It's not anything. It's just a like a housing website. So I was like, oh, that's a pretty good price. Let me see what else they have to save on, save on shipping. And I found another series that was pretty cheap. And the shipping was the same. It was still five bucks for like 30 bucks worth of comics. And I'm like, oh, shit. Let me see what else there is. So I happened to look up Fantastic Four. New fan. I was just looking up new Fantastic Four, right? What do I come across? copy of fantastic 449 it said it was a 4.5 so i'm looking at this i get in the car because uh where are we going we were going somewhere with my family i get in the car and my kid is driving and my wife's behind me in the car and i turn to her and i say hey talk me out of this and then i tell her the whole thing and she says you you'd better buy it so that you can turn it around immediately that's the only reason I can see for you to want to get an extra thing. Now, this is what being, you know, like this is the slippery slope of being a comic collector, right? Mm -hmm. On one hand, you want to limit yourself to the things that are what you want. But on the other hand, you don't want to ignore value when it's staring you in the face. Yep. 
So to me, it was like, look, dude, this could be a $500 windfall if I'm just willing to like get it, take a chance and sit on it. But then I read the description on the site and it basically says a staple is missing. And that seems awfully dicey for something that's a 4.5, like an entire fucking staple missing. And so what they did was they didn't have pictures, but they had descriptions. So where I landed was like, I was sort of, sort of mad at my wife. Cause I was like, God damn it. You should have just told me to buy it. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> don't you know that what I wanted was for you to say, just buy it. Um, but that's okay. That's, that's why I use her as my litmus test, you know, like, cause sometimes I'll come to her and say, what do you think about this? And she'd be like, that's, I think that's cool. I think you should go for it. So, you know, you earn your cred by saying no and yes at, in equal intervals as opposed to just blessing everything or saying no to everything. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so I sent a note to these people and I said, Hey, can you send me pictures? And they didn't get back to me for three days. And then it ended up getting sold. Mm. So if, it, Hey, I'm fine with that. You know what I mean? Because I did have this fear that for that amount of money, if your description is right, then I'm not sure you've graded it correctly. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's more like a two than a four. Right. And therefore it is accurately valued and I don't want it as opposed to it is a, it is a deal. Right. Right. Yeah. That all makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes so anyway. though, you'll come across one and you're just like that. Damn, that's a good price. I'll, I'll tell you this other book uh, when we get off the horn here. Um, sure. But there was one that's been listed recently, and, and I was like, I think that's a pretty good price for that book. Um, I have to do some research on it, and if it is the right price, I might pull the trigger. Because, yeah. man, let me tell you something. Uh, being in a dual income situation, it, it really allows you to have a little bit more uh, play money. <laughs> so, And then not, not to mention that I've been selling so many things on ebay like my goddaughter used to collect monster high and ever after high and you know i bought these ones these these san diego comic-con exclusives and that year she was like uncle scott i don't play with dolls anymore and i'm like Eh. well i guess i'm just gonna sit on these and so i did and i bought a couple of them for i think 20 or 30 dollars a piece and i sold them for 150 each and then this other one i bought for 40 and i just sold it for 205 so it's just like, oh, okay, I've come across nice chunk of change on stuff that was taking up space. So, yeah. uh, you know, and then doing all my bills and such, I'm like, well, holy shit, I have like just 300. Like, I was like, let me save this amount of money, which was a lot already. And then yeah. I still had 300 extra. I'm like, oh, fuck, I, I have a lot of money this paycheck. What the fuck? Okay. Yeah. Nice. So uh, maybe maybe I take a look at this this book and see if that's a decent price and then I can buy it and not be affected by it. Yeah, let's fucking go. All right, so to that point, because I can't wait to hear it, um, you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. I am doing my best to post daily on that site. Daily, basically every six days, and then take one day off. So I encourage you to follow me on Keith underscore Invader because that is going to be my primary place on Instagram. Kadoja Kaiju is not going to go away, but that's going to be a once a week kind of posting where Keith Invader is almost going to be daily. And I seem to be engaging even more every day on there. So that's where you can find me online. Oh, you know what? I actually, before we get out of here, I do actually have something that we need to talk about. And uh, it's the housekeeping. We got some housekeeping to do. So we actually started talking about HP Lovecraft last episode, or or two episodes ago. And uh, Steve Whistler Jr., a constant listener of the 
the program and could sometimes contributor and uh he's been contributing a lot lately so yeah part-time stat boy yeah yeah steve yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you steve so we were talking about hp lovecraft uh hp lovecraft is in, uh, this is steve hp lovecraft is an interesting case uh when he was alive um he was very open to writers borrowing uh, slash playing in his sand- the sandbox he created, such as the Necrocomicon, uh, Cthulhu, and Elder Gods. Robert E. Howard was part of his writer's circle that used and built on his concept. A very large section of Lovecraft is definitely public domain, including Reanimator and Herbert West. I hesitate to say all, but uh, you're not getting sued for using elements. Most notable, excuse me, most notable adaption... Uh, are not licensed. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I'm not really getting that there. Um, there, is, there are certain comic characters that are probably almost definitely public domain, but nobody wants to be the first to go after. Prime example, the Marvel family Shazam. Uh, George Romero screwed up because uh, he changed the title from Night of the Flesh Eaters uh, at the last second, so the copyright information was fumbled. So ah. the, that's the Night of the Living Dead, right? Yeah, um, and must then, be. Yeah, so the film is in public domain, but not the screenplay. So anyone can legally make copies or use clips or do mystery science theater, but the characters are trademarked in the screenplay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, which we found out through 215. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, yeah, true, very true. I believe yeah. his gory books sound considered parody, and protected from copyright infringement. Not correct, <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Again, we, we we made an arrangement with them, and I think we might even be working with them in the future, so we'll see. Right on. Very cool. And you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram. That's S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah. KeithRFoster.com. There's three protector stuff. That is science fiction kung fu, there is Kadoja stuff. That is Giant Monsters Meet HP Lovecraft. Music is coming soon. There are some blog posts. And uh, and yeah, man, some articles should be on the way on iHorror.com soon as well. So KeithRFoster.com. And you can go to AccidentalAliens.com to find my book, Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda. Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night. And Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. All on AccidentalAliens.com. Apple has a app called Podcasts. We encourage you, since you may be listening on this Apple Podcast app, to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Um, Again, there's this Spotify way where you can click on us and give us five stars, but on Apple you can give us some words. It really helps. Scott, I don't know if you read that review from a couple weeks ago, but it was really awesome. And of course, the person's name has escaped me for two weeks in a row, but it was a really, really great uh, review. So... We appreciate the reviews. They do help the algorithm, and you know our opposition to the algorithm gods and how we're here to fuck shit up from the inside. So, yeah, man, uh, if you can, go on over there. Give us five stars. Give us some words. We appreciate it. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, comments about this episode, any episodes we've done, go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com and shoot us over some words there or any of our social medias. Hit us up, feel free, Instagram, Twitter, it doesn't matter. Hit us up, let us know what you think of the podcast, how we're doing, 
if you're enjoying this, if there's any topics that you want us to cover. We've covered quite a bit, so we're, we're always interested in finding new uh, topics to talk about. So if you got something, let us know. Yeah, exactly. And and on this podcast episode, like you walked into In-N-Out and you expected to get a double-double, but bitch, you got a four by four. You know, like we really jam this shit full. So with that, uh, I've probably finally queued up the music right now and uh, and we'll see you all next week. Yeah, yeah.